Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. I'm Dan Martin, special effects artist, and I'm joined as ever by my co-host... Sam Ashurst, and I'm a screenwriter, a director, and I write about film and TV for a bunch of different places. And uh, I'm here today to talk about zombie flesh eaters. Uh, but before we do that, Dan, why don't you talk a bit about the structure of the show? Uh, yeah, okay. So every fortnight, you and I will look back at the Arrow archive or look forward to upcoming releases, uh, select something we're either interested in or have a particular fondness for, and then what we do is we uh, make some recommendations based on the film we've just watched. And we also make recommendations based on the stuff we've watched over the past couple of weeks because we watch a lot of weird stuff and uh, we want to tell you about it. But before we do that, Dan, why don't you tell them about the plot, such <laughs> as it is, of Zombie Flesh Eaters? Oh, that's oh, throwing shade. It's incredibly... Uh... In depth and company, it's not. Um, so we start on uh, the island of Matul, although we don't know it yet, uh, seeing a man wrapped in a sheet being shot in the face and hearing that a boat's okay to leave. Uh, then we cut to New York in the harbour and a luxury yacht is boarded by the uh, water police. Is that a thing? Boat police? Just normal police, I think it is. Are they? Mm-hmm. But this normal police? Okay. Uh, um, the reason I know that is because they're actually um, off-duty cops who um, were hired on the basis that they had their own uniforms. They had a boat. So they're, <laughs> they're not special water police, they're just... But does, it doesn't mean they weren't playing water police. I think I don't probably, know, anyway. they would have needed different uniforms. Anyway, yes, well, the, the water police. The water police. The water police turn up, meet a fat zombie, uh, which they fail to shoot in the head, and it falls into the river after dispatching one of them. A very accomplished backwards dive that it achieves. I mean, it just sort of topples off, but you don't see it fall. You just see it land in the water. It kind of folds his arms next to his body and, and kind then of just drops back. slowly falls away. Um, good technique. And then that lovely thump, thump, thump Fabio Fritzi comes in. And then we get the credits. Basically, the uh, main character's dad, or one of the main character's dads, uh, owned the boat but wasn't on it. Uh, the police want to know where he is. She wants to know where he is. She's digging about at the same time uh, in McCulloch, uh, who's our sort of hero, I guess. This might be the most in-depth plot summary you've ever done. It's super important. <laughs> um, also wants to know what's going on, thinks maybe there's a scoop there. And then they go to the island and there's zombies there. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what I was going to do. <laughs> <laughs> and then they go to Matul, the hilariously titled Matul. Um, so yeah, um, should we go back and talk about that opening scene uh, in a little bit more depth? Because I know that you're a big fan of it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what else? Much more there is to say about it. I like I like nosebleed zombie, the fat man on the boat. No, I, I'm actually oh, the very the, very the, the first, very, but very open. Oh yeah, it's lovely. Um, so good. I think you said this while we we're watching it. So good they showed it twice because <laughs> <laughs> they do cut back to it later. Um, yeah, I really like the. The uh, the very very first shot of the film is a, uh, a sort of tight focus on the end of the revolver, uh, with everything behind it out of shot. So you don't know where you are. All you know is that there's a gun, um, and then a body wrapped in shrouds and and tied up starts sitting up in the corner of this field hospital and is shot in the face, and um, and then the doctor says the boat can leave now. Tell the crew. 
And it's awesome. <laughs> now, um, I should point out at this point, and this is probably going to get me in quite a lot of trouble from several different areas, but um, I am not a massive fan of this film. There's stuff that I appreciate about it, um, mostly actually the making of it. Um, I find the sort of behind-the-scenes stories more entertaining than the film itself. <laughs> um, but, you know, I don't, I don't want to sit here and lie and say No, that, but it's horses but, for courses, though. Yeah. Oh, subjective, that's fine. Exactly, and you love it. So. I do love it. Well, it, it, And it's a very popular film. It's very popular, but also it's, it was very formative for me. Like, it was one of the early nasty type films. I mean, it was mm. on the DPP list. Um, it was one of the early films of that type that I saw. I was quite young when I saw it. It had quite a big impression on me. Um, but also, I do think it's really fun. And yes, it's slow in places, and some of it's a bit cack. But <laughs> overall, it's it's there's what I enjoy about it far outweighs what I see as the negatives. Hmm. Yeah, I mean uh, that's fair enough. I, I I think I saw a lot of um, stuff that I loved more before I saw this one. So I'd, I'd already seen like your Evil Deads and United the Living Deads and your Return Living Deads, and then I sort of finally landed on this one. And uh, I actually saw, um, I guess, like a cut version. Um, yeah. Well, it was it, after it was banned in England for a long time, it got released over here cut. And there was a lot taken out of it. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if, if you at home can imagine this film without the gore, then <laughs> that, that's what I saw. So um, it's probably no wonder that I didn't really sort of bond with it. So I don't have that sort of nostalgic feel for it that, that a lot of people do however there's a lot about it to like in terms of how it was made yeah um, there really is so um yeah just just to talk a little bit about those new york scenes that, that follow that opening scene apparently they were added in sort of the the, the by the way full-blown spoiler alert we're gonna really oh talk yeah in, in we'll talk about, about the whole biz yeah in, i want to talk about the last shot so yeah exactly so um yeah, the, the New York sections at the beginning and at the end uh, were, were added in um, after uh, Dawn of the Dead came out. Um, to yeah. To the script, cash in. And obviously there's an element linked to that we'll, we'll get to a bit later with regards to the Italian sequels. Oh, yeah. Well, so the thing you, that's interesting is that this was in production. I mean, it was photographing before Dawn of the Dead came out. So the script, and, yeah. the script had been written. Or, you know, a version of the script had been written. Um, and when they decided, oh, well, this American zombie movie is doing absolute gangbusters in Italy, we should release this as a sequel to it because we just, yeah, who cares? Um, that's when they did the, the top and tail. So the ending, which is so cool, is very much sort of in, stolen from the world of Romero. Mm. But, and I think I said this to you when we were watching it the other day, I, I'm always very, like, I, I very much like how many, like, quite unique tropes, like, quite, quite not unique, but, like, how many things it was doing on its own first, mm -hmm. even if they were also being done on their own first in America, they'd already set the ball in motion with some of these pretty cool stuff. And, like, remember that Savini in Dawn of the Dead wasn't doing big bub-style zombie prosthetics. He was painting a fat man blue. And so, like, there's not that much difference in the, the type of effects that's going on, except for the fact that there's very little that isn't, like, direct application. Like, it's all latex and cotton wool build-ups. So the, the, the throat tear scene in the graveyard, there's this awesome scene 
when uh, they realise they're in an old Spanish conquistador graveyard, which obviously means, oh shit, there's a load of dead people underneath us. And sure enough, on cue, they all start sitting up and biting throats. And it's one of the bits that got cut from the old English version. It's a super bloody throat tear. Um, and, um, and, and that kind of stuff was being, like as far as they were concerned, that wasn't, that was pretty early, early days for that to be in zombie stuff. And uh, just to go back to that that final scene that they added in later um, to sort of cash in a tiny bit, um, what's amazing about that scene is that um, they didn't actually have permission to shoot on the Brooklyn Bridge, um, so they had to get it as quickly as possible. Um, which Run and is, gun. Which is quite amazing when you consider, you know, how many zombies were sort of wandering around. Um, and that's why you can kind of see... Uh, underneath the bridge, the cars sort of, even though apparently, you know, the, the city's in a state of panic, um, the cars are sort of cheerfully going back and forth. Driving in both directions. They're evacuating in both directions. Exactly. Um, and yeah, that, that sequence, um, Fulci basically, um, yeah, like I say, it's a rush job. They shot it in the rain. Um, the extras had to, um, be told not to shiver, even though they were, they were freezing. <laughs> um, and, uh, for the pleasure of all this, they were paid $40. I didn't um, know it was $40. That's so, amazing. Yeah, <laughs> that would, apparently they were, um, stapled together or paper clipped together so that none of them would get paid more by accident. Um, which is so pa- <laughs> stapled in bundles. Which That's is amazing. Which is a nice detail. Um, which I don't know, like $40 in 1979, 1978, that can't be. It's not too bad, it's not but too it's bad, certainly, it? certainly not enough to risk prison for, though, considering that, you know, some of the off-duty cops were on the payroll to be in the film, who knows what kind of deals well, they Well, and made. given, like, <laughs> if you look at how they were making, like, the crime movies and stuff over in Italy, where they're shooting car chases yeah, through exactly, city centres exactly. without permits... Um, and yeah, using live rounds in public. <laughs> and yeah, the the zombies look really good, like you say. Um, even though Fulci referred to them as walking flower pots. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, well, that's to do with the head crush, isn't it? Um, it's no, it's to do with um, and they're covered in earth, exactly. But they're also like whenever a head gets smashed, it's plaster. Yeah, so they don't come apart like. I mean, that there is a really awesome head smash. A crucifix is used to smash open a head in the graveyard scene I just mm-hmm. mentioned, uh, and it sort of pulps open, full of presumably animal parts. That seemed to be how they did things in those days. But it's very plastery. Although they get away with it more. Again, I mentioned this to you then. There's a uh, there's a another not one of my recommendations, but a, but a, a favourite, not great zombie film of mine is Burial Ground: Nights of Terror, um, in which the plaster-headed zombies getting smashed are much more obviously made of plaster. <laughs> And um, if if you think that shooting on the Brooklyn Bridge without permission is irresponsible, wait until you get to uh, my, you know, I guess my favourite scene in a way. Everyone's um, favourite scene. <laughs> the zombie versus shark scene. And now when we were watching it, um, Dan sort of pondered, you know, how, how did they actually do that? Did they just feed the shark loads so he, he wasn't yeah, particularly... Can you, can you overfeed a shark until it's not bitey anymore? This, this is what Dan... And so <laughs> I looked into this and... Um, Apparently, for the scene, what they did was they basically let the shark swim around the boat for a bit yeah. until he looked tired. <laughs> <laughs> and then they chucked the actress in with him and hoped for the best. That's amazing. So I also did a bit of reading about this, but I was mostly reading about Roman Bravo, who played the zombie. Mm. Um, he was an Olympic swimmer. Yeah. Um, but he also was uh, 
quite famous for discovering the Cave of the Sleeping Sharks, mm-hmm. which was a, uh, a sort of a, a nature thing that he put his name to. Um, so he obviously was very comfortable with, with sharks and stuff. And they do spend most of their time underneath it, which mm. is the safest place to be with a shark. They always attack from below, apparently. But still, they put an actress in the water with a shark. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, you've got to love that. And um, do you know, um, I've got a quiz for you, Dan. Like, like, oh, go on. Like, like the Psycho quiz, Psycho 2 quiz you did for me. Um, I willfully misunderstand your question. <laughs> well, I'm going to phrase it in a way that actually makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, do you know who was supposed to do the shark underwater scene? The the zombie who was supposed to play the zombie in the underwater shark scene? I don't. I only know that w- were they in the film at all, or were no. they? Oh, well, no, because I know the name of one of the other stuntmen in the film, mm. and he has an amazing name that sort of indicates he should have been the underwater zombie. Go on. His name was Ottaviano Dell'Acqua. <laughs> <laughs> There's quite a lot of funny names in this film. It's a good credit sequence. Um, but no, the answer... He's not credited. The answer, which you're going to love... Yeah, go on. Rene Cardona Jr. Are you serious? Yes. I love Rene Cardona Jr. Dan very much loves him. And yeah, apparently he dropped out at the last minute, so the shark trainer... Um, Did Rene have form as a stuntman? I didn't know this about him. I mean, other than being wrestly. Well, I, I guess not, hence him deciding not to do it at the last minute. You know, maybe he woke up in the morning and said, hang on a minute, Fulci's going to put me in a bloody water with a tired shark. And I haven't even discovered a cage, a cave of sleeping sharks. Exactly. I'm not an Olympic swimmer. So, yeah, um, it, it, it was supposed to be uh, Rene. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's preposterous. Like, why, why doesn't she have any clothes on, Dan? <laughs> can i reference that audio commentary i like so much no you can't oh um uh, so i'm not going to say what it is but during that scene there is an audio commentary uh with jay slater watching the film with ian mcculloch and it's the first time ian mcculloch had seen the film and they're watching that scene together and they both fall into silence during that scene because it's quite awesome but also because mcculloch obviously wasn't underwater so he hadn't really seen any of this wasn't even there for it and, uh, and Jay Slater breaks the silence in the best way. Um, I know it's on the, on the old Laserdisc, the American Laserdisc that I've got. I, I'm sure it must be on a, a DVD as well. I mean, you, it's not on the Arrow disc. Yeah, I mean, you, you can say, I, I more was saying, let's not tell this story rather than let's oh, not I say like, where it's from. But oh, go, you, like go ahead. Story. you go ahead. You go <laughs> Sorry. Ahead. Yeah, they're, they're, they're in, they're in silence. So as Sam said, this, this woman isn't wearing very much. Really, she's wearing like a thong and the, and a scuba breathing tank and that's it. And um, and during this scene, uh, when she's escaping from the shark, she swims up away from camera and the camera's just facing right up between her legs. And after a, a good minute, minute and a half of audio commentary silence, Jay just goes, that's a nice shot. So there we go. <laughs> you can hear Ian shifting his seat. Just as you can hear me shifting <laughs> in my seat. Um, so, yeah, I guess we can kind of wrap this up I, I think um, I, I guess the re- talk about the eye talk about the eye yeah go go go. I don't really have much to say I love it <laughs> I love it it's great that's, so that's your favourite scene um, it's definitely the one well because so even though I saw this very very early I in my watching of this kind of extreme horror film um, I'd seen a still um, of the aftermath the, the prosthetic on the eye with the, the, the twig sticking out um, and that was certainly sort of very exciting. And obviously it, it's, it resonated with the audience because Fulci after that point, like nary a film went by when he didn't 
mutilate some eyeballs. Yeah, um, I mean, the, it is an amazing sequence. The eyeball count in um, in the Beyond is is off the charts, mm. isn't it? And and that I think you know, I think probably the main reason, or one of the reasons, I'm not a massive fan of this one is that I love Fulci. I love him so much, um, but I mainly. I just don't really like the rare films he does where he hasn't written the script. Yeah. Like, I like him to be in complete control of everything. Um, and he's got such a unique voice and tone and atmosphere. It sort of works better when he's sort of in charge of everything. However, I can't hate this film completely because apparently, um, there's a scene, uh, in a newspaper office sort of early on in the film. Um, and apparently, uh, it very much annoyed Rupert Murdoch when uh, the cast and crew interrupted a meeting he was having. Uh, <laughs> he angrily kicked them all out. So um, any film that annoys Rupert Murdoch is all right by me. So uh, <laughs> I don't hate it that much. Shall we do recommendations based on this film, Dan? Yeah, let's do recommendations based on the what, film. What have you got? Well, my first one's just another Fulci zombie movie. It's another one of my favourites. It's City of the Living Dead. Nice. 1980. Um, it's yeah it's great it's slightly it's not a zombie movie in the same way this is very much a voodoo zombie movie which is slightly more in keeping with where Day of the Dead would go later mm. um, with it's when there's no more room in hell uh, explanation whereas uh, City of the Living Dead is sort of much more demonic possession frightened priests foggy graveyards and yeah it, it's an absolute treat and so there's an Italian actor uh called Giovanna Lamberto Radis, who worked under the name John Morgan, uh, although Morgan was spelled G-H-E-N, I think, at the end of his name. And, um, and he dies in everything. Like, literally, I don't think I've ever... I genuinely don't think I've seen a film in which he survived to the end credits. And some of his deaths are some of the best in Italian exploitation cinema. His death in Cut and Run is absolutely magical. And he has a, a great demise in City of the Living Dead as well. It's well worth... Well, well worth the price of admission just to see him cop it. That's great. And uh, my first recommendation based on this film is Shocking Dark, um, otherwise known as, I think it's known as Alienators. Is, is that right? That sounds right. That sounds right. Um, but, but more interestingly, it's also known as Terminator 2. Um, it was released as Terminator 2 in 1989. And it is it somehow manages to rip off Aliens... Um, and Terminator, whilst looking like it was shot in a car park. <laughs> the laser guns here are shotguns, and it's, you know, there are moments where it's basically a shot for shot remake of Aliens with, you know, Arnie from the Terminator wandering around the corridors. It is preposterously entertaining. Uh, it's a Bruno Matai film, uh, aka Vincent Dawn. So you know what you're in for with one of his films. Well, yeah, so it was Matai who took over from Fulci on Zombie 3, it or was. Zombie Flesh Eaters 2, yeah. after Fulci had his stroke. Uh, and Matai ended up hiring Delacqua as his stunt coordinator. So okay. he sort of, he progressed from being a, uh, an uncredited performer. He's the, he's the zombie in, um, Zombie Flesh Eaters. He's the one with the maggoty eyes who was on all the photo covers back in the day. Yeah. That's yeah. him. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he went on to be Matai's, um, and he's also on Graham, he's also on Graham Humphrey's, um, beautiful illustration for yes, the Aerodius. And he's in Ladyhawk. <laughs> <laughs> What's your next recommendation? Well, so actually, it's, it's fun that you went for a, an unofficial Italian sequel because that's something I sort of wanted to talk about 
Yeah, we'll, my... we'll get to that later. We'll to but, that but my second recommendation is a Spanish zombie film that was made in 1974, so five years before Zombie Flesh Eaters, but was released as a sequel to Zombie Flesh Eaters in some territories. Uh, and it's called Living Dead at Manchester Morgue. It's got a bunch of other titles, the most notable one being uh, Let Sleeping Corpses Lie. It's really great. Uh, to the extent that I went uh, to our Halloween party as one of the zombies from it a couple of years ago, I think. But um, yeah, it's really, really good. It's set in England. Uh, it stars Ray Lovelock. It has the has a very interesting relationship with British geography, which is one of its uh, one of its charming factors. But it's also got possibly my favourite reason for zombies from a zombie movie, like the the faux science, the bunkum science that they come up with to explain why. Uh, the zombies are, uh, 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 you know, the dead are coming back to life is one of my favourite favourites from any of those films. Excellent, that's brilliant. Um, I'm going to go for Voices from the Beyond for my uh, second recommendation. It's one of my favourite, relatively unseen Fulci films. It's one of his his later films, and uh, I don't want to spoil too much because it is quite bonkers, but. It's essentially about uh, a dead man who's trying to solve his own murder. Um, and I don't know if I'm going to say too much more than that, other than potentially I'm going to quote from it, um, because it's got one of my all-time favourite Fulci lines, which I hope to quote when I'm married. Um, the husband says to the wife at one point, your stupid face is putting me off my breakfast. <laughs> so, uh, so there we go. And also Fulci dedicated the film to uh, um, his, uh, he says, this film is dedicated to my few real friends, which uh, also oh, very much like. That's really sad. <laughs> he's not Poor sad. Lucio. No, he's all right. He, he doesn't need loads of friends. Well, not now. He's Fulci. <laughs> So, uh, should we move on to recommendations based on the films we've watched over the past couple of weeks, Dan? Yes. So, my first one, anyone who follows me on social media may have seen me post a picture of a, a cherry red box that I received through the post and was very excited about with little to no explanation. Um, that machine uh, is, as you know, Sam, uh, a Z-Eagle, which I managed to track down. It's a video jukebox from Singapore. Uh, and it contains all 668 of these Celestial Shaw Brothers releases, which is going to keep me busy for a while, keep both of us busy for a while. And Sam and I inaugurated it uh, with a watching of 1978's Legend of the Bat, which is a fantastic fantasy martial arts film, basically set around an island that operates outside the law where people can bid on people to do crimes for them or buy stolen goods. And... Um, and a man has a hit taken out on him for reasons he doesn't understand at one of these auctions and goes to investigate it. And on the way, he meets some other people who all have business to take care of at the island, whether they're trying to sell something or try and free someone who's captured at the island. And it leads to some fantastic set pieces and some great like, low-level magic. It's, it's really fun and really crazy. Yeah, brilliant. That's great. And uh, my first recommendation based on the past couple of weeks is Cold Hell, which uh, I saw at Fright Fest. Uh, Dan came along. Uh, it was the Duke Mitchell screening. And I sort of always trust their taste. Uh, but this was the best one I've seen for a long time. Yeah, um, the best film I saw at Fright Fest. And uh, it's uh, from a Oscar-winning director, Stefan Rosowitzki. 
And uh, it, you might think that, you know, this fancy director of the, the counterfeiters might be uh, uh, a, a bit pretentious, but it's this action-packed exploitation masterpiece oh, ab- amazing. about uh, a, a female taxi driver who also happens to be a kickboxer. Um, and we sort of, uh, we see this demonstrated in an early scene where, uh, she, uh, gets her revenge on some, uh, dodgy passengers. Um, and she witnesses a murder or, uh, the, the end of a murder, uh, across in a different apartment from hers. But unfortunately the serial killer who committed the murder spots her spotting the corpse and thus begins a cat and mouse tale. Um, which has lots of really sort of interesting politics, amazing action set pieces, brilliant characters, and and lots of surprises along the way. Um, I cannot recommend it enough. I think it's coming to Shudder in uh, 2018, so it'll be on Shudder next year. I really hope that a Blu-ray comes out at some point because I really want this film. Or in another my, a big screen run. I'd love to see it on the big screen again as well. Absolutely. So um, yeah, Cold Hell, amazing. What's the um, there's next? a the knife fight in the car in it is uh, was up for best fight at Fright Fest. Uh, yes, uh, I it, know. It lost out to the POV opening of the villainess, but it was a that's a close call. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, I mean, it actually shares quite a, a weirdly. It shares a couple of things in common with the villainess. I don't want to go yeah. into too much detail, but structurally, there, there are some similarities. Well, and there. female leads and all that, that, that as, as well. well yeah. But, but yeah, it, it's structurally you'll you'll know when you see both films. I really don't want to say any more than that. Um, but yeah, Cold Hell loved it. Highly recommend it. Dan, what have you got next? Well, talking of The Villainess, uh, which obviously I recommended last time. Yeah, the, the first narrative feature by the, uh, by the director of that, Byung Gil Jung, um, is a 2012 film called Confessions of Murder. And it's, it's great. It's really great. It's a, uh, <clears throat> sort of revenge film, uh, like The Villainess, but it's more of a, um, more of a mystery than the villainess. It's more more linear narrative, but it's still pretty pretty wacky. Um, basically, a police detective who was in charge of uh, trying to solve a series of of murders, a serial killing, confronts the killer, gets really close to catching him, um, and is knifed by him. He gets away and then disappears into the night. And then 15 years later, apparently, there's a statute of limitations on murder in Korea of 15 years. So after 15 years, if you've got away with a murder, you're fine. Like, everyone just kind of forgets about it. Except in this instance, the killer turns up with a book about how he, how he did the murders and, uh, and becomes an overnight sensation, this handsome, suave guy talking about how he did all the murders and he's saying oh I'm very repentful and whatever but he's cold and psychopathic and no one trusts him and so it's about the cop's relationship with this guy who claimed he did all the murders and then also the surviving members of all of the families of the other victims and their interactions with him they basically like have their own plans in all this but although that feels like it could be quite a dry thriller it also has all these incredible action set pieces in it. And all of the stuff that's awesome about the villainess, you can see a sort of prototype version of those scenes in Confession of Murder. So, you know, the car, the, like the, the car stunt stuff. Oh, there's an awesome similar car, like a prototype car stunt stuff in, 
in Confession of Murder. So they're a very interesting companion films, but it also stands alone very strongly as well. It's an absolutely fantastic film, well worth checking out. That's great. I haven't seen that one, so I will check that one out. And my last recommendation this week is another one from Fright Fest. Uh, it's a film called Replace, uh, which I absolutely adored. Um, again, I really, you know, because not, not many people have had a chance to watch it, I really don't want to say too much about it at all, actually, because it's a really nice journey that the film takes you on. Um, but I will say that it's got uh, a brilliant cast of women. Um, it's, uh, really cool characters, beautifully shot, very style, like very stylish, um, the, the director, uh, Norbert Kiel's got excellent taste. And one of the actors in it, uh, Lucy Aron, did you recognise her from a film that we've watched together, Dan? I'm not sure I did, no. Um, she is uh, quite a key character in Stations of the oh Cross. Oh my God, Stations of the Cross was incredible. Which is an unbelievable film. So, um, yeah, uh, we watched that a while ago, didn't we? Yeah. But, um, Stations of the Cross is a, a very mini a, recommendation. A tacit from, recommendation from for both, both of us. us. That's amazing. <laughs> um, Get your depression on. But, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, miserable. But, yeah, keep an eye out for Replace. Um, it stars Barbara Crampton um, in, a, in a really sort of cool role that I don't want to say anything about. I'm not going to say anything more. Replace. Keep an eye out for it, and if I can, I'm going to try and get some uh, interviews, um, certainly from the director, um, for a future episode of the podcast, because it's a very interesting film, and I'd like to talk to him about it. Yeah, we chatted to Norbert a little bit at Fry first, didn't we? we and did. He's a really nice guy. He's a lovely guy, and yeah, like I say, just great taste. Yeah, really good. Right, should we uh, go into extra features? Extra features? Extra features. Uh, yes, let's do that. Extra features, right. Um, Daniel. Yes. You had a tweet. I did, I haven't got it saved. Right, I do. Yay, so, Sam's um, more organised than me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's from uh, Tim Coleman, lovely Tim, um, whose uh, address is Fats Coleman on Twitter. And he asked, how influential was Romero's dawn on this? I understand Zombie Flesh Eaters was originally released as a zombie to cash in. Dan, you have several thoughts about this. Yeah, I mean, well, we sort of touched on this earlier, didn't we? And I, I mean, I love the Italian tradition of unofficial sequels. I'm a big fan of them. I'd be interested to know both how much of, uh, like, was everything in New York shot as an addition? Was it going to start with them turning up at Matul? Yeah. And if so, what did they miss out from the original script to make it come in at the length it's at? Because it would have been like seven, like 65 minutes if you just cut all the American stuff off. So there must have been other stuff there. So that's interesting. I wonder if there's a, an uncut script about. I think it was basically just um, the, the writer really wanted to root the script in the origins of the zombie mythos. And it, he was sort of interested in films like I Walked With a Zombie and, and that kind of stuff. So I really do think it just all would have been on the island but just a bit extended. But in terms of how they get there, in terms of why they're there, I think they must have messed around a little bit with that. Maybe the sort of the starting well, they point, have, the starting point of the rumor, like the reason they get yeah, there, yeah. obviously would have been well, they have, very much. They have different. conversations about her father on the island, so her looking for her dad was obviously already set in the narrative. But yeah, it's interesting. There was there was a, a sort of tradition in Italian horrors to have them 
like more in cannibal movies than in zombie movies, but they'd often start off in a, in a like a country like America, sometimes Italy, but normally America, and then they'd go over to like South America or you know an island somewhere to investigate something, and then run into either zombies or more likely cannibals. Um, again, Cut and Run, which I mentioned earlier, has some uh, has some great New York stuff in the uncut version, and it's one of those ones where they shot two versions of everything, so they'd shoot. Like, you know, they'd, they'd have uh, some cops come in and there's like a guy with a little spot of blood on his forehead and maybe a bit of coke on the table. And they'd be like, hmm, this man's been killed in a turf war. And then they go, okay, everyone set up for the other version. And they bring in like six dead naked women and like five guys who've been disemboweled and squirt blood all up the wall and there's coke, mountains of coke. And then they just shoot the same dialogue. And so there were two completely different versions of that film, which they did for the, the hard European market and the slightly more sensitive American market. Hmm, yeah, that is interesting. <laughs> so, um, yeah, hopefully that answers Tim's question. I think so, yeah. Uh, can I bang on about Italian sequels a bit more? I realised I sidelined myself. You did, <laughs> yes. So the, um, there's a, a lot of great Italian, well, and just European zombie movies have been unofficially released as sequels to Zombie Flesh Eaters after it was released as an unofficial sequel to, well, I mean, they pretended it was official, sequel to Dawn of the Dead. And it did have one official sequel, didn't it? Which was the one that Matai took over on. But and then I think the like Killing Birds, which we mentioned about two or three podcasts ago, um, wasn't actually made as a Zombie Flesh Eaters sequel. That was a, a shoehorn, and it was released in the states um, as Zombie Five, but it was originally just kill, Killing Birds. But loads of them. Um, uh, Revenge in the House of Usher was released as a, a the Jess Franco one. Um, Virgin Among the Living Dead which is not a zombie film, um, was released as one of them. Um, that's Jess Franco and Jean Rollin. Oh, yeah. No, uh, no, collaborating no. on really beautiful, dreamy stuff. And then um, Absurd, which we watched recently, um, the Anthropophagus sequel, sort of Anthropophagus sequel from Joe D'Amato, was released as Zombie 6 in America. And then Zombie 7... Anthropophagus, the, the previous film in that franchise, neither of which were officially related. So, you know, all, so many of these movies were just piggybacked on to Zombie Flesh Eaters, which gives a, a strong indication as to how beloved it was that mm. in all these different territories. And that's it. Like, if you, depending on the country you go to, all of these films have different franchise orders and different, like, just other films shoehorned in and retitled. And anyone, like, in the days pre-internet, anyone who was trying to collect this stuff will remember the frustration of trying to work out, have I seen this before? Is this just a mo- an, another movie under a different title? Sometimes it's two movies cut and shunted together, like a territory would just cut two films into each other. So you'd end up, like, tracking down films that either didn't exist or, um, like, trying to track down films that didn't exist or spending ages tracking something down and just to find out it was actually something you'd already found uh, just under another name. Yeah, that I mean, yeah, that, that it's it's just ridiculous. It's yeah. absolutely ridiculous. But I, uh, um, can I one one last little bit to this? I know, I know, but I just wanted to mention Contamination, which was released as an Alien sequel, another Alien sequel. But I heard a rumor that Dan O'Bannon had given them his blessing, which he didn't have the rights to do commercially. Yeah, oh <laughs> um, but it's a great film. I think that's an arrow, isn't it? Uh, worth watching. Yeah, yeah, no, it is, it is. Yeah, that's it worth watching. Lovely, 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 lovely Dan O'Bannon. I love him very so much. Good. So, a couple of newsy bits before we wrap up. Dan, why don't you tell them the first one? Um, okay, yes. Uh, so, at the Duke Mitchell party at Fright Fest this year, which is a sort of raucous 
party event in one of the screens where they invite people, directors, filmmakers to come along and show clips and shorts that they've chosen. Um, Arrow showed a trailer for a um, an announcement title that they're going to be releasing next year, is it? Yeah. Um, it's called The Baby, uh, directed by Ted Post, uh, director of Magnum Force and Beneath the Planet of the Apes. It's a lovely little slice of exploitation. Uh, it's about an adult uh, man being forced to live, at a, live as an infant um, by the three crazy matriarchs in his, uh, in his life. And the sympathetic nanny character who he comes in and, and stirs things up. It's absolutely fantastic. Great. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing that one. The clip was very, very fun. Um, and there were lots of fun clips at, at the event. Um, the director of Imitation Girl, uh, Natasha, she showed this incredible short film made by her ex-dating partner Steve Gerard yes um, and uh, yeah it's just it's it's online it's on Vimeo um, it's it's very it's fun. amazing it's called What Up uh, spelt W-A-W-D-A-H-P if you want to find it on Vimeo it's fantastic it's well worth a look uh, um, Barbara Crampton uh, introduced the trailer for The Sadist which if you haven't seen watch it on YouTube it is very very fun right now last bit of news before we wrap up and this is a particularly exciting one for me and Dan uh, you may have seen this already being announced it was certainly announced at Fright Fest where we did an intro to the villainess um, on Sunday night and uh, we're actually going to be doing an audio commentary for The Villainess, which we record next week. Very um, exciting. Very exciting. And the, the, the Blu-ray's out at the end of October, and you'll be able to hear us basically doing this, but on that, um, for, for much longer. For longer. <laughs> for, for Korean film length. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about that a bit more in the future, especially when it's out. But uh, that's it for now. Dan, what's your Twitter address? Uh, my Twitter address is at 13fingerfx. Um, I'm not spelling it this week. Oh, wow. Okay. And I am at Sam Ashurst. I am going to spell it. It's S-A-M-A-S-H-U-R-S-T. Thank you so much for listening. And we promise we'll be more professional next time. Bye-bye. Bye.